0: Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to jump in this morning together to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you're uh, new with us or maybe you just didn't um, get a chance to grab your Bible this morning, there are some hardback black ones somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those if you need one. Follow along with us there as well. So we're in this new series in Acts. Uh, In this little subsection, we're calling The Power of the Spirit. And uh, kind of trying to press into learning more about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and how he works in our lives and all these things through the way that he worked in the early church in the book of Acts. Um, and so we're going to be uh, today looking at that again. Some of you have probably heard, uh, and if you've been around Harvest for very long, you've probably heard um, my father's salvation testimony. I've shared that once or twice before. Um, so I'm not going to go all through that again, but just kind of catch some of you up if you don't know what I'm talking about um, So my my dad uh, was kind of first Christian in his family. He was actually uh, got into drugs in in Memphis where he was growing up. So he was actually a drug dealer by the time he was in high school. Uh, Drugs, alcohol, all that kind of stuff, pretty hard life. And um, one night after he had been attending church for a handful of weeks... Uh, actually on a bet from a friend that he could go to church and pick up more girls at church than he could at the bar. He'd been going to church for a few weeks. And uh, after church one night, he ended up on the bathroom floor in the middle of the night, just crying out to the Lord, like, God, if you're real, then come and save me and like completely change my life. And God did. God showed up right in the middle of the bathroom and saved him radically. That night, he took all of his drugs and all of his booze and he flushed it down the toilet, never touched it again, Walked away from all of that and he got just started to transform his heart and his life. And he started following the things of the Lord. He started going to church. He started getting involved with some Bible studies and, and prayer and started sharing his testimony with others. And he just had all these new dot, he had all these new desires, all these new heart level devotions for the Lord because of the Holy Spirit coming and filling his life in that moment of salvation. But you know, when you, when you come out of a life of drugs and debauchery and all that kind of stuff, it's and you don't have that outlet anymore in your life, it's just kind of strange. Like, you don't really exactly know what to do at that point. It's just everything changes. You have new friends, you have new desires, you have all this new stuff, but it's just completely different. And so he, he, he found quickly that his weekends got pretty boring and lonely because all the stuff he used to do and the people he used to hang with he didn't have anymore. And so at some point he calls up one of his, his new Christian friends, he's like, hey dude, Love following Jesus, all in, totally great. Kind of just ask you a question, like, what do Christians do on the weekends? Like, I just, like, I don't even know, like, what to do with myself. Like, this is just, like, you know, what, what do you guys do for fun? And you see, God had changed his heart. He had transformed his heart. But he was still in the process of transforming his life to meet up with his new heart that he had through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the same story for all of us who have come to faith in Jesus. Maybe not the drugs or all that stuff, like your story might be, have some different details, but if you've truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, there was a moment where the Holy Spirit came and wrecked your heart and completely transformed you. And then after that, your life had to start changing to kind of match up with that. And that's what we see happen here in the early church when these new believers come to Christ. So here's what I wanna show you today in Acts chapter two. If I have been saved by the gospel, I will be changed by the Spirit. If I have been saved by the gospel, truly saved, then I will be changed by the Spirit from the inside out and so we're going to pick up here in, in kind of in the, the back end of chapter two and verse forty two so just to kind of catch up, if you up remember last week, Holy Spirit came, filled all of the the 120 disciples, they went out, they started preaching the gospel. Thousands of people came around and Peter gave his big, you know, sermon, said, repent and believe. And they did. (laughs) 3,000 people believed in Jesus Christ and were baptized. And all of a sudden the church went from 120 to 3,120. And now they have to figure out what to do, right? And that's where we pick it up here in verse 42. Here's what they do next. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So just pause there. Here's the first point this morning. The Spirit changes the devotions of my heart. When the Spirit comes in and transforms you at salvation, He starts to change the devotions of your heart. There it says that they devoted themselves. That word devotion means love. It means loyalty. It means um, enthusiasm or excitement about something. And in this case, in the Greek there, it's what we call the, the imperfect verb tense, which doesn't mean a whole lot and doesn't necessarily need to. But here's what that ultimately translates into is that this was an ongoing, continuous action, all right? So it wasn't like they just got, you know, fired up for Jesus for a couple of days and then it all went back to normal. No, they were ongoing, repetitively, a new life of devotion to the things of God. That's what Luke is describing here for us because the Holy Spirit had changed their hearts. So now they were persisting. They were persevering. They kept going in the things of the Lord. And notice here, there's four things in this list. And so I just kind of gave you a little chart there in your notes. And we're just going to kind of break down these four things. These are what I just call the devotions of a Spirit-filled disciple. If you've truly been filled with the Spirit of God, these are four things that you should start to feel your heart more inclined to as the Spirit changes you. And we're going to see how this applies to us today in the modern church. So the first one was the apostles' teaching. Remember back in the Great Commission, Jesus said, go make disciples and teach them all that I've commanded you. All right, so that's what they started doing. We got 3,000 people who just came to Jesus. Now we're going to start teaching them what Jesus said. So the apostles started teaching all these people the, the teachings of Jesus. Thankfully today, after they taught it to them, they eventually wrote them all down. And we now have the apostles' teaching in what we call the Bible or God's Word. So for us to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching as a spirit-filled disciple, it means to devote ourselves to the study and understanding of God's Word. That's the medium that we would have today for the apostles' teaching. So what is the purpose of this? The purpose of studying God's Word is to know God. He gave us his word to reveal to us who he is and and what he's called us to do. And so as we read, as we study, as we saturate ourselves in God's word, we get to know him more. And as we start to know him for more, that replaces in our life man's wisdom. You see, in our natural flesh and our natural bent as humans, we think we can figure stuff out. Like, just give me enough time and enough resources and enough brains in the room and we can figure it out on our own. We can get it done. And we rely a lot on man's wisdom and man's knowledge. And there's some benefit to it. But ultimately, if we're going to really get it in this life, what we need is not just man's wisdom. We need God's wisdom. And so as we know God through his word, it replaces what we thought we knew before in man's wisdom. And so what methods are we using today in Harvest and our church to help you press into the apostles' teaching? A couple things number one, personal study. you need to be studying god's Word for yourself. You need to be reading it on a daily basis. We talk about this in our step two class. I give you resources, I give you point you in direction. we talk about this in our small groups. We try to encourage like you need to be in god's Word so you can know him. Also on our Sunday morning services, we have scripture in our worship services. Nathaniel just read two or three different scriptures earlier when he was introducing Blameless. Right? We have songs that are full of God's Word. I don't know if you've noticed, but we only pick songs to sing here that have God's Word as the lyrics. Right? They are embedded with the Word of God. So you're being saturated in that even while we're singing. Our sermons, we take directly from God's Word. We want you to know the apostles' teaching. And then again, in our small groups, as we gather each week, we come back and we discuss more. What did we learn on Sunday? What did we talk about? What do we, what do we see in God's word here? This is all part of pressing into this first devotion. Okay? Second devotion of a spirit-filled disciple. Luke calls it fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, which basically just means being together. So it can be used for togetherness with God. It can be used for togetherness with believers. Um, In this case, it's more of the latter. And so the medium that we use here for this today would be called gospel community. Walking in life with other believers, okay? And the purpose of gospel community, having people around us who are following the same God that we're following is that it helps us walk with God. We need each other to, to lock arms and walk together with the Lord so that we're growing in him. And what this replaces in our life is isolation and insulation. Again, in our natural human bent, when things go wrong in my life, when somebody does me wrong, when I get hurt, when my health's bad, when the finances are struggling, whatever the problem is, our natural inclination is to pull back, right? Like to press away from people because I don't want anybody knowing that I'm struggling. I don't want anybody knowing my stuff. When I got sin in my life, I want to I cover it up. I want to build a wall around myself and not let anybody in because I don't want them to see me for who I really am. But the Bible says that we are forgiven in Christ, that we are blameless in him, as we just sang earlier, and so that we can now in gospel community press in to one another and lock arms and walk through the fire and the hardships and the struggle and the sin together and not have to do it on our own anymore. The mediums that we use here at Harvest to help you with this, um, first of all, obviously small groups, um, and specifically in applying God's Word. So one of the things we really press hard in our small groups is not just to study God's Word or talk about what it says, but how do you take that and apply it to your life? What are you going to do with it this week? How are you going to walk this out? How is it going to change your walk with Jesus? We also have accountability in our small groups where we're sharing sin and we're sharing, hey man, I'm struggling with this and we're praying for one another and we're encouraging one another with scripture and we want to help one another walk closer with the Lord. I even think that this happens in our serving teams. Many of you, I mean, we have just an unbelievable amount of our people at our church serve on some Sunday in any given month. And when you're serving and you're locking arms and you're putting up curtains or you're setting up kid stuff or you're teaching or you're whatever you're doing, you're in the parking lot. When you're locking arms with somebody and you're serving alongside them, there's an encouragement in that. There's a strength in that that comes from just relationship that helps us walk with God and to follow him more closely. That's the second discipline. The third discipline is breaking bread. He says here. Now, there's some debate here whether that means uh, strictly communion or if that means a larger kind of fellowship meal that they would have together on a regular basis. It probably means both because in this day and age, um, the way they celebrate communion was oftentimes in the greater structure of a larger kind of fellowship meal. So it was kind of like two in one together. Um, But the focus Luke has here for pointing it out is not so much the meal as it is the worship that they're experiencing together through the meal, through the act of communion. They're worshiping, they're pressing into the Lord in this. And so for us, again, that medium is worship. We worship in, not, not just in communion, we worship in lots of different ways. This is just one of them. And obviously the purpose of worship is to worship God, which replaces the worship of self. We're all, everyone is born as a worshiper. Did you know that? Every single person on this globe is worshiping right now. Someone or something. Our natural inclination is to worship ourselves. To think that we're at the center of the universe and everything revolves around us. And as we start to press into worshiping together with other people, we get our eyes off of ourselves and we get our eyes on the Lord. So methods of worship that we practice here often. Singing, obviously, we just did that. Uh, we do that every Sunday. Um, I know some people are more, more into music than others, and maybe music's not your thing, but when you read the Bible, man, you cannot get away from the fact that there is singing by God's people to praise and worship Him over and over and over again. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all in there, all right? This is the way that God has called us to worship Him and to engage in this way. So we do that through, I put it through thinking. So this could be through singing, you're thanking him for things he's done in your life, could be through prayer, could be through giving testimony to other people. There are lots of different ways that we can worship God by just thanking him and giving gratitude for the ways that he works in our lives. And then obviously communion as well. We do this usually about once a month here at Harvest where we come and we remember and we worship and we thank God for the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us on the cross, So we have the apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and then the fourth one is prayer. (laughs) I have to believe that when these people, their hearts were changed by the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, they had these new lives and these new devotions, they realized very quickly, man, we need some new direction here. Like, what we were thinking, what we were doing in the past, that's not going to work anymore, and we need something from the Lord right here, and so they started praying more. They started going to the one who had the answers, So, obviously, the medium is prayer. And the real purpose of prayer, I think there, and I've heard lots of people give different ideas on what they think the main purpose of prayer is. In my life, as I've studied God's Word, as I've kind of walked this out, here's what I think it is it's just learning to depend on God. It's just getting it off of myself and being like, I can handle this and I got this. And it's, no, Lord, I don't got this. You've got this. I'm trusting in you. I'm pressing into you. What do you want? Where are you leading? And it's putting complete 100% total dependence on the Lord. And this replaces obviously in us independence. And we need that replaced hardcore in America. We pride ourselves on being independent people. It's in our culture, it's in our music, it's in our movies, it's in our books, it's in everything around us. It's It's in your workplace, it's in our schools. And there's a certain level of independence that is helpful and healthy at times. But when it becomes the penultimate thing that you're striving after, you lose part of your humanity that was meant to be connected to a God who made you and people who are around you. So prayer teaches us to depend on God, not just on me. Again, methods here, personal prayer is obviously important when we're continually encouraging you to be in prayer on a daily basis, talking to the Lord. We do corporate prayer here a lot. The last couple Sundays we've done a corporate prayer element in our worship service in on Sunday morning, we do it in our small groups. We, we, we want you to be praying together on a regular basis. And then intercessory prayer is another important part of this process. Learning to pray not just for myself, but pray for others. Pray for their stuff, right? In small groups, we're constantly sharing prayer requests and praying for one another. I see people do this in our church. Just like on any, any, any given Sunday. After church, you'll see two people over in the corner somewhere talking. And all of a sudden, you'll see somebody take a hand and put them on their shoulder and just start praying. We need to be praying for one another. It shows that we're dependent on the Lord. And so these four disciplines, God's word, gospel community, worship, and prayer are the four things that my heart starts to yearn for and starts to move towards when the Holy Spirit comes and fills me at the moment of salvation. I hope you've had that experience. Because friends, here's here's the reality. There is no such thing as a Christian who hasn't been changed by the Spirit. Please hear that for for me again today. Just just listen to this statement. And and I'm not trying to be ugly here. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to help you understand the reality of what it is so that you can be sure where where you stand with the Lord. There is no such thing as a Christian who has not been changed by the Holy Spirit. We just don't see it. Nowhere in God's word do we see an example of that. Always the Holy Spirit comes and transforms the heart and starts to move us towards Jesus and away from ourselves. Romans 8, 9 says it like this. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's a strong statement. If you've been truly saved by putting your faith in Jesus alone, then you have received the Holy Spirit. So how do you know? How do you know if that's really happened to you? Have you experienced a changed life and a changed heart at some point in your walk with Christ? Have you seen a change? Is there evidence in your life of new devotion to the things of God that flow from the Spirit? If you've never experienced that change, that that change of devotions in your heart, then I would say you probably have not experienced the changing gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can today. I was thinking back through my own salvation story and just kind of walk with the Lord. And some of you have heard my story before, but there was a season like in my late teens and early college years where I was in rebellion against the Lord. I, I was doing my own thing. I was you know, not walking with the Lord at all. And then all of a sudden, God came along, and he just dropped a boulder on my life. (laughs) Like, just completely crushed me and brought me to my knees. And I ended up at this revival at my dad's church, and the pastor was preaching the gospel. And God just used that to just completely reignite my heart on fire for the Lord and on fire for the gospel. And I knew it was different because from that moment, all of a sudden, I started to have these desires and these devotions to the things of God that I didn't have before that. I started being hungry to study and know God's word. I went back to college. I started reading it for myself. I started getting involved in some Bible studies. I started staying up till two o'clock in the morning and having weird Bible conversations with guys in the lobby. Like all of a sudden, I just had this hunger for God's word. And fellowship, I started wanting to hang out with believers instead of all the other people I was running with prior to that. Worship, I started actually going to church regularly on Sundays and looking for other opportunities throughout the week on campus when they would have special worship things going on. Prayer, if I'm being completely honest, it didn't get that great. It got a little bit better. Uh, I was at least praying regularly then, which was a step in the right direction, but it was still kind of weak at that point. But these devotions started to change my heart, and and it was good. Like I I was just growing and and just running after these things for at least a year, maybe a year and a half. And then slowly but surely, other devotions started to kind of creep back in. You know what I'm talking about? I started worrying about money again and how much I was making at my job or the grades I was getting in my classes or going out with girls or entertainment or whatever the thing like other things started to kind of creep back in and some of those devotions for the things of God started to decrease because I started giving more devotion to these things over here again and that went for a couple years and then we got married and after we got married God dropped another boulder on my life as he exposed some major sin in my life in my marriage. And again, I was just crushed. And through a season of repentance and through discipline of the Lord, again, he started to reignite my heart and transform my heart and have devotions for the things of God. I started reading my Bible again and getting serious about it. And For the first time, I started actually having a personal time in God's word every day. I read the entire Bible through in a year for the first time following that experience. I started growing in my desire to be with other men in fellowship and not just like have fun together, but like actually confess sin and have them hold me accountable and talk through real stuff in our lives. Prayer became just this huge growing in thing. It grew in intensity. It grew in length. Like there was a couple times I was late for work because I went over my prayer time in the morning. Like it was just, like God started doing a fresh thing in my heart again. And the devotion started becoming back stronger and stronger. And that lasted for a couple years. And then they started to wane again. Because things started to creep back in, and then God had to refresh again. Like this is, I think this is just kind of the normal rhythms of the Christian life. Because even once you're saved, you're not perfect. We don't have it all together yet. And so we get really strong for a season, and then we lose it for a little bit, and then God reignites something, and then we it kind of goes up and down. You know what I'm talking about? Is anybody else with me? Am I alone on this one today? Come on. Alright, don't leave me up here. This is what he does. And I don't know where you're at right now in that roller coaster ride of faith. But if you're in a season where maybe you've lost some of those devotions for the things of the Lord, man, you need to pray that God would reignite those in you. Like what else is stealing that from you right now? Is it your work? Is it family? Is it running the kids to all their stuff and keeping the schedule so jam-packed that we don't have time for anything else? Is it finances and just struggling with how we're gonna make ends meet? Is it a health issue? Like, what is it that's stealing your attention, your your devotion from the things of God right now? And let's pray and let's press back in. Let's let the gospel do its work to draw us back because no matter where you're at, I can just tell you right now, whether you're on the top of the mountain or in the valley, God is standing there looking at you saying, child, just come on back. He's just calling you back to the things of God. He wants you right there with him. And if you find yourself in one of the seasons where you're far from the the, the things of God right now, if those are low in the devotions of your heart right now, I would encourage you, man, just just gaze at Jesus. Just get your eyes back on the Savior and back on the gospel and let that reignite something in your heart so you can follow the Lord and the things that he's called us to. So something I want to do with you today as we kind of walk through here is I'm going to give you three self-assessments. So these are actually in your small group notes on the next page. You don't have to write all these down. I've already given them to you in the small group questions, okay? But here's the first one. What am I devoted to? This is kind of the first assessment. Just ask yourself this week, what am I devoted to in my life right now? Here's some follow-up questions. Did Did I experience a new devotion for the things of God Following my salvation experience. Think back to when you first got saved. Did you have this wave of new devotions come in your life in those weeks and months following your salvation? Or how about this? Am I more or less devoted to the things of God now than I was the first six months of following Jesus? Am I up or am I down right now? Or how about this? Am I living with divided devotions? Maybe I'm still doing some of the church stuff and I'm still going to small group and I'm still still checking some of the boxes but my devotions are truly actually divided and I got a lot more over here on some other worldly things than on the things of God right now. I want you to press in this week. I want you to walk through this and just prayerfully ask yourself these questions. Nobody else can answer these for you. You have to answer these. And just let the Holy Spirit speak to you through these questions and maybe through your conversations at small group. So the Spirit changes the devotions of my heart. That's the first part. Now look at verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Point number two is this. The Spirit changes the direction of my hands. The direction of my hands. Notice here it says that they were together and they had all things in common. When I read this description, all I can think of is family. Like, this is the description of people coming together and joining together as a spiritual family. They shared all of their life together. They they were all on the same team, right? Like, Like, there was no man left behind. If one suffers, we all suffer. Like, we are all in this together, they said. And then it says this crazy thing in 45, that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And we're like, what? Who does that? But notice here, no one's telling them to do it. It wasn't like one of the apostles stood up and said, hey, sell all your stuff and give all the money to everybody else. No government or entity came along and told them to do this. God had changed their hearts so much that now when they looked at their brothers and sisters in Christ who had a need, they were jumping at the opportunity to fill it. There was a new generosity being stirred in their hearts. And again, the verbs here are in that imperfect tense, meaning that they were ongoing and continuous. It wasn't like they just sold everything all at once and put all the money in a pot until somebody needed it. No, they waited until they saw a need, and then they sold whatever they had to sell, or they, had, they did whatever they had to do to meet the need in front of them. And they kept doing that as needs came up. So let me just hit the nail on the head for a second here. Okay? This is not socialism. Can we just get that out there? I know it's like a popular thing right now to be talking about in our culture. Like, that's not what this is. This is not a government requiring anyone to do anything. Because here's the reality, friends. You cannot legislate or force gospel transformation. You just can't do it. We can't pass a law or come up with a system that makes people be good or be like Jesus. We need the gospel to change our hearts so that we want to be good, so that we want to be generous like Jesus. This is about living with open hands. That's the terminology I think that's best used here. So I'm going to just do a little illustration. I got a couple guys. Guys, come on up. They're going to help me with this illustration now. So when I use this term, open hands, I want to kind of just kind of show you what I'm talking about. All right, you guys, it's right here, right here. Just kind of put your hands out like this. Just open up for just just one, not not two hands. You guys are greedy. Okay. Put your hands up like this. Um, All right. So this hand represents your life. Okay. More important, like your finances or your checkbook. And notice it is empty. Yeah. That's about like my checkbook. Yeah. We're all like, yeah, that's, I get, I get that. Okay. No, but this represents that when our hands are empty, it shows that we have needs in our life. We all have needs, right? You, You track with me on this? And as Christians, when we have needs, we pray to the Lord, and the Lord provides for our needs. Right? He starts giving us more than what we had before and starts giving. Your, yours is coming? All right? He starts, he starts giving us what we need. And as humans, when we get what we need, our first thought is to do what? Close those hands. right? Because I have to keep it. Like, I need this. This is, this is for me. I, if i want to care for myself, I have to have it. And if I leave it open, somebody might take it. So i got to close those hands. This is what we think. But the, there's a couple problems with living with closed hands. One, when my hand's closed, I can't clearly see what God has given me. Because it's covered up by my hand. I can't see how generous and how awesome God has been to bless me and provide for me. And when my hand's closed... I can't be used by God to bless anybody else because it's all about mine. And I'm saying, no, God, this is for me. And God's saying, really? Because I thought I put that in your hand. I think that's ours, not just yours. We're like, no, no, God, this is for me. And when my hand's closed, guess what? God can't keep putting stuff in there because you can't receive it because the hand's closed. Okay? But when my hand is open. Now, I can clearly see all that God has blessed me with. And now my hand is open and I can allow God to not only give, but also take away and maybe help somebody else who has a little bit less than me. And I get to be used by God in the mission of serving and helping other people. And as my hands open, God can continue to give me more so that I can be a blessing to more people. Are you tracking with me? Okay, thank you guys. Yeah, 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 get that all here. Okay. Um, That's how you have a closed hand right there. Um, Closed hands represent greed and selfishness. And mine and me. Open hands are generous and humble, sacrificial. And Lord, I trust you, whatever you want to do. And when God comes in and he changes our hearts, he also changes our hands. Spirit-filled disciples put people before possessions and pleasure and power. A lot of times we want to hold on to that money. We want to close those hands because we're afraid we're going to lose some pleasure or some possessions or some power but god says I, i'm not worried about that stuff i want to love on some people and you have to have open hands for that it says that they gave they sold their stuff and they gave as any had need now i know what some of you are already thinking because i've been there and i've thought it some of you are already coming up with all the exceptions to that rule and all the, the excuses and all the experiences that you've had with so-and-so on the street, and I gave them something, and then they went and did this with it, or it didn't work out, and you have all these things that are telling you that's not really the way to go. You know, but Micah, some, some people, they're always asking for more. No matter how much they have or how much you give them, like, they always want more. They're just greedy, and they're just selfish, and they're always asking for more. Well, it does say here that they gave to any as they had what? Need. Not as they had desires, not as they had wants, as they had needs. So there is some discernment here that you have to use by the Holy Spirit to really see, is there a need here that I need to meet? But if I'm I'm just telling you right now, when Jesus comes back and we're talking, and he's asking me how things went, I'd rather err on the side of, yeah, you probably gave a little bit too much when someone wasn't in need than the other. Yeah, Micah, some people are in need, but they don't really deserve it right they 've squandered their money they 've used it poorly they 've made bad choices they, they don 't they don't deserve it 's not my fault that they that they 're in this mess it 's not my problem this is their problem and they should fix it and they don 't really deserve what they are asking for. Does it say that they gave to anybody who deserved what does it say they gave to any who had need? see for us so, so often as we look at generosity through the filter of justice and and fair and right. But God doesn't look at generosity like that. Thank goodness God doesn't look at generosity like that. He looks through the eyes of faith and mercy and love. God has shown us the ultimate generosity when we did not deserve it. We were rebellious, wicked sinners who were enemies of God. The only thing we deserved from him was wrath and hell. But he chose to give us not what we deserved, but what we needed. He sent his son Jesus to come to live a perfect and sinless life. And to go to the cross and die a sinner's death to pay for sin. To pay for your sin on the cross. You should have died. It should have been your debt. It should have been your wrath. It should have been your cross. But Jesus died in your place and he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life to show that he was God and say, look, I forgive you. Forgiveness is yours. I am going to be generous toward you. I'm going to give you what you need, not what you deserve. And after he saves you like that, he wants you to do the same thing. Open hands to meet the needs that he puts before you. If the generosity of the gospel has filled your heart from the generosity of the spirit Will flow from your hands this is another way to know if you've truly been saved by the gospel if the generosity of god's gospel has filled your heart and you have been forgiven then the generosity of the spirit will flow from your hands to others both in emotional ways like forgiveness and in financial ways as god blesses so self-assessment number two again this is in your small group notes self-assessment number two how open are my hands? Ask yourself that this week. Just do an assessment, just you. You don't have to ask anybody else. Ask yourself, ask the spirit, how open are my hands? Is there anyone around me in need that I could help but I've ignored? Somebody on the street, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody at work. Number two, what in my life would I refuse to sell or give up to help someone who was really in need? That one hurts, right? It says that they sold and distributed. That means they had some stuff and they chose to give it up to help somebody else. This wasn't extra money sitting in the bank account. This was something they had in their possession that I'm sure that they loved or wanted or needed and they sold it to help somebody else. Is there something in your life, is there something on your list, you're like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, just don't touch that. Just don't take that thing. Did my budget spending and giving change towards others and God after my salvation? Think back to when you got saved. After you got saved, did things change with your finances? Did things change in how you looked at generosity? Did it change on how you budgeted and gave towards others and towards the Lord? Do I faithfully give more to others and God today than I did the first six months of following Jesus? So maybe it did change, but now what's it like? Has your generosity increased over time of walking with Christ or has it decreased? Am I living with open hands? Third thing, look at verse 46. It says, in day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Third thing is this, the Spirit changes the docket of my life. <laughs> look, at, look at those first words in verse 46 again. And day by day. Listen, friends, when the Holy Spirit saves you, he doesn't just want two hours on Sunday. Right? This is not just another thing to add to your schedule. It's not just another appointment for you to keep or thing for you to go to. The Christian life is not just a once-a-week activity. The Holy Spirit wants every day of your life. That day by day, it's us. That they were meeting together in the temple and in homes. Their new hearts needed a new schedule. They needed new rhythms to their life that were centered around the things and the person and the people of God. Which means, they had to change. Now, some of y'all are like already like, I need some more meds. Like, you just said the word change, right? Like, but they had to change their lives. They had to give up some things in their old life to make room for the things of the new life of the Lord. They maybe had to give up some old rhythms and some old activities in order to make space to be devoted to the things of God in their day-to-day life. I remember back before I got married, man, I used to spend hours playing basketball or playing video games or going to the movies or staying up late, like just hanging out with the guys like all the time. And then we got married and I did some of that, but I couldn't do as much of that as I used to because now I've to spend time with my wife. And then we had kids. Now you don't do nothing, right? Like like, you, you get up, you talk to Jesus, you go to work, you come home you eat dinner with the family, you do the family activity, you pray the girls into bed and then you just fall asleep because you are exhausted. Like that's that's every day, right? Like you don't have time for anything else anymore. Things changed because the purpose of my life changed. It used to all be just about Micah and now the purpose was about my wife and it's about being a husband or being a, a father to my girls. I had a new purpose and so I had to have a new schedule. I had to have a new rhythm to my life day by day. same is true when you come to Christ. When you get saved, the purpose of your life changes. It's no longer about you. It's about following him. And so now the schedule of your life has to change to match the savior of your life. And that's what happens here to these first believers. And as they started to conform their schedules to their new hearts, look what happens. Look at the results. It says that they had glad and generous hearts. They found joy in the Lord and in the things of the Lord and no longer just in the things of the world. And it was a greater joy. It says that they praised him. They began to worship God and not just themselves. And they found favor with all the people. Because as people in your life, whether they believers or non-believers, it doesn't matter. When people in your life start to see it change in you and the image of God starts to shine through you rather than just the image of Micah, they take notice of that. And it starts to impact them. And it starts to bring favor with people because they see that there's a love in you greater than what you had before. In other words, they started to live out the great commandment that Jesus said, right? Like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others as yourself. That's what they're doing right here. They're letting their whole lives be changed and oriented around the love of Christ. But also notice one last thing. Notice these new devotions, this new generosity, this new lifestyle, it didn't just impact them. It impacted everyone around them, including the lost, including the unbelievers, Go back up to verse 43. Did you notice I skipped 43? Anybody catch that? Don't be skipping verses. We don't do that here, right? Like 43, here we go. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Where it says all came upon every soul. Again, it's every soul. Not not just believers, but non-believers too. These people were shocked and intrigued by the total transformation that they saw in these new disciples. It was evident. It was tangible in who they were and how they lived. And it says there were many wonders and signs being done by the apostles. These were like miraculous things being done by the power of the Spirit through the apostles. Really cool stuff, really unique to this kind of time here. But that same power that was working miraculous things through the apostles was the same power that was indwelling every one of those believers to transform their hearts and transform their lives. And it's the same Holy Spirit power that lives inside you if you've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it wants to transform your heart and your life just as evidently as it did these early believers. And then jump down to 47 again. The very last part it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're were already over 3,000 and more just keep coming because they're seeing the transforming work of the Spirit. Here's the reality, friends. We're talking a lot in this series about being a bold witness for Jesus. This is where it starts. It doesn't start with going to your neighbor. It doesn't start with, it starts right here, with being devoted to the Lord. When we live lives transformed by the Spirit, God uses us to help others be transformed by the Spirit. It starts with us walking in step with who He is. It starts with him transforming our hearts and us living that out in our lives so that others can see it and then they can be transformed by the same spirit of God in them. So here's last assessment today, self-assessment number three: Who am I living for? Again, this is in your small group notes. Who am I living for? After I got saved, what did I give up to align my life with God and his people? Think back to your salvation experience. How did your schedule change? How did your rhythms change? How did your priorities in your life change after you got saved? What about this? What in the regular rhythms of my life shows that I am walking with Jesus day by day? Think about your weekly schedule. Think about your daily schedule. What activities in your life, what things are tangible evidence that you are walking with the Spirit day by day? And it's not just a Sunday thing for you or a Sunday and Tuesday thing for you if you have a small group, whatever, right? Like what shows that it's day by day? Lastly, what in my schedule right now have I allowed to take priority over my life with God and his people? What other demands have I allowed to sneak back in and come between me and the Lord? Whether that be my personal Bible time, each day, whether that be Sunday services, whether that be small group nights, whether that be you know, youth for you teens, like what is it that's coming between me and the Lord and keeping me from making him priority in my schedule? Again, only you can answer these questions. You have to talk with the Spirit this week and let him speak to you and through you and like, Lord, show me. Have I really been transformed? am I being transformed right now? It's an ongoing process. If I have been saved by the gospel, I will be changed by the Spirit. Most everyone in here is in one of three spots. I'm just going to lay these out real quick. This is the last thing. Number one, some of you have never experienced the transformation of the Holy Spirit that I just talked about. You've never had that because you've never even thought about or taken the step of trusting in Jesus as your Savior. If that's you, you can do it today. You can do it right now. You can pray and ask the Lord, repent of your sins and be filled with the Holy Spirit and your life will be changed forever. And so if you have never taken that first step, I encourage you to do that. Some of you are in group number two. You thought you were saved because there was a point at some point where you prayed a prayer and you made a confession of faith or you got baptized or you did some spiritual act that you thought saved you. But now you're thinking back and you're like, I did that thing. I prayed that prayer, but nothing changed. Like, like I was, I, I, all this transformation you're talking about, I never felt that. I never saw that. Nothing ever changed in my heart or in my life after that prayer, after that experience. Well, then I would encourage you, don't get stuck on the past of what it was and what it wasn't. Like, just do it now. (laughs) Like, just press in the Lord. If, If you never had the transformation, then I don't know that you ever really got the gospel, but you can do it now. You can be changed by the Spirit right now. Don't get stuck in that past. And then group number three, Some of you have some experience in your past where you did trust in Christ and you were saved and you were transformed by the Spirit. Things started to change in your heart and change in your life and it was a whole new world. And it was awesome for six months or a year or maybe even two years. But over time, your story was kind of like my story and it started to wane a little bit maybe you're in one of those valleys right now where it's not as strong as it used to be. And you need to press back into Jesus and you need to look at the gospel in a fresh way and let him fill your heart with the power of the Spirit once again. So you can be transformed and press back into these things and be devoted to the Lord in a fresh way. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing, we're gonna let the Holy Spirit just speak to us right now on these things. Where are you at? Where are you at with being transformed by the Spirit today? Stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you God for your love. Thank you Lord for your power in us. God, as we said earlier, we are so undeserving of any of that. Lord, you, you called us and you saved us, not because we deserved it, because we needed it. Thank you for not ignoring our great need not leaving us in darkness. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your spirit that not only calls us to faith, but transforms us as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, transform us again today. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We marvel at your glory. We marvel at the gospel. And we just thank you, God, that you are God who changes people, change us again. Transform us today. Lord, come and change everything in us to bring glory to you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray.